of Maturing in Manhood. We're in episode eight. My name is Dan. I'm Jonathan. And we're looking at the shifts of manhood today. We're going to start a five-part uh, five-part series. It's a five-part series. Yep. So this is uh, the first part of the five-part series. And of course, just a quick reminder about why we're doing this. And that is basically it's to encourage young men to live wisely. So John's voice and my voice, um, we're hoping are trusted. And um, we know they're needed to build brotherhood among the local church. And that's uh, what we're aiming to do, uh, especially with and uh, focused on our modern dudes, dads, and disciples. So if you're one of them, we welcome you in. If you're not, uh, we welcome you in and hope you'll share it with someone who could benefit from it. But um, John, we're revisiting the definition of manhood today. What are we talking about? When we say maturing in manhood, we've talked initially about how many different ways you can define manhood and how mm-hmm. difficult it is in our culture. Um, the definition has been hijacked. The, you know, In some cases, the traits of manhood have been kind of injected with the, the, uh, with the category of toxic. And, mm-hmm. and then you know, there's other kinds of manhood that's praised and celebrated that we would not be supportive of in, even in our Christian worldview. So how do we, how do we, dis- how do we define this so that that everyone understands what we're referring to when we say we want to help with manhood. Mm-hmm. Well, if we are going to talk about the shifts of manhood, uh, that could probably be confusing if we don't have a good working definition here. And you know what? As we kind of discover uh, new material and new voices and we do our own research, <clears throat> we come across stuff that <clears throat> you know we we didn't we didn't have a definition like this just a mere you know a couple months ago <laughs> when we started this podcast and we actually spent quite a bit of time like researching what are we talking about when we say masculine or manhood that's right yeah <clears throat> and there is a definition here by Mr. John Tyson, who's a pastor from New York City. <clears throat> we sort of introduced his name uh, last week as we are planning on working through some of his um, great insights here on manhood. Um, and he, I was listening to a podcast called The Art of Manliness. That's a plug for sure, because that's a great that's a fantastic podcast. I wouldn't say that that is what could be labeled like a overtly Christian podcast, but the guy who runs it uh, and is the host is a believer. And yeah, you he, know, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say he tends to have on guests who uh, are also believers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I. Uh, it's one of the very rare resources you come across, and when you kind of look at it and get into it. The more you do, the more you think, how did I not know this existed? Yeah. Where have I been that I did not know this was a thing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's a terrific resource. It's Highly, called what again? It's called The Art of Manliness. And it's got he's got an app? <clears throat> That's a good question. He does. He does? Yeah. All the content is in the app. The podcast, the articles, the um you name it. Everything he does is in the app. That's fantastic. I've been listening through just um, Spotify, but that's good to know. Yep. Um, so John Tyson is on this podcast, The Art of Manliness, and it wasn't. It was a, a comment almost in passing. I was mowing the lawn, and he he just mentioned. He, he says, "Here's how I define manhood." <clears throat> he says, "It's the joyful pursuit of sacrificial responsibility." There's several words there worth unpacking, right? Yeah. And as I'm mowing the lawn and I'm thinking about that, like I think I might have turned the lawnmower off for a second and just went, what 
was that? That you're, is, you're so I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind that. You're so dramatic. Let's listen to that. <laughs> let's listen to that again. <laughs> I probably listened to it three or four times. Make sure I got this. The joyful pursuit of sacrificial responsibility. And then the more I started to think about that, <clears throat> the more I was like, that is so legit. That resonates with me very deeply. Um. So. It, that's one of the best definitions I've ever heard, period. And and I and especially for a word that can be difficult to pin down. Yeah. Right. That that word manhood, it's like like we already said that can be defined in so many different ways, but I love that it starts with the word joyful. <clears throat> I know. How about that? So the way that I kind of think about that is joyfulness indicates a, a really a willingness to just participate. But I, I think even more than that, <clears throat> there's a there's a deep satisfaction that comes from participation, right? I'm going to participate in this calling that God has given me called manhood. Um, but, but I, I'm also going to recognize that uh, through that participation and through a, a healthy definition like this, there's a deep satisfaction that can come. And, and, and that satisfaction, of course, translates to joy. That you don't experience if you're not participating. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And then, um, so, you know, thinking about that second word. So it's a joyful pursuit. Well, when you think about the word pursuit, what do you think? And in, in, in my mind, uh, it's kind of the chase, right? It, 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 and, and, and to me, that just means that things don't necessarily come easy. And I mean, that this is true for men and women, but it, it, things don't come easy, right? There's effort there, 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 that's involved, right? There's sweat equity that's, that's involved. And, um, you know, maybe you, you, you get the thing that you're pursuing, but, but even if you don't get that thing, the the chase the pursuit is going to build muscle right it's going to build speed and toughness in resilience that's what it's similar to sort of exercise right and working out <clears throat> you don't see necessarily immediate growth but over time you you look back and you go man i'm i'm i've changed right i've got this new endurance this new toughness that i didn't have before and that comes through this pursuit yeah, even the idea that you have to be focused and then refocus and refocused and then ask yourself, as I'm pursuing, am I focusing mm -hmm. on the right thing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a pursuit. It's a joyful pursuit. <clears throat> but the pursuit's not about you. This is this is where it really turns. And I, and I think it turns into something wonderfully biblical, right? The pursuit is not necessarily about you. It's about others so that that's where that word sacrificial comes in the joyful pursuit of sacrificial responsibility so it's not about you it it, it, it it's gonna it's gonna the, the joyful pursuit is actually gonna cost you something right there's a sacrifice that's involved so we you know we think about this like laying down our rights and our privileges for others and and that's satisfying uh, deeply, deeply satisfying in a way that when you just are out sort of for yourself and living for your own purposes and causes, you, you, you just, you just can't find that kind of satisfaction, right? That's why when you're chasing something for yourself, the pursuit is about, let's say finances, right? I'm, I've got to, I've got to load up my bank account <clears throat> to this degree we don't find, even though we think it's going to satisfy, and it may momentarily, we don't find true satisfaction, lasting satisfaction there because it's not sacrificial. Yeah. It's not sacrificial. It's not for 
someone else. It's for ourselves primarily, and um, it's hard to find satisfaction there. It's good. And then um, this is huge. You know, you, the, the last part. Oh man, yeah. So it's not um, just responsibility. It's also sacrificial responsibility. So what what does that mean? The responsibility part is this: you you've got to own it. There's no there's no more blaming anyone else. There's no more pointing the finger. You, you've got to take on this new level of accountability in this shift of manhood. And that responsibility is to what? It's to lead. It's to love. Right? And and if you um, resist or you reject that responsibility, then someone else or or something else is going to is going to fill the vacuum that's the thing man if you have irresponsibility with your own home and your own family with your own self self self-leading and leading your family right uh you know that that role that that manhood plays fills a need Mm -hmm. and when that manhood part of your life and your character and your and the way that god's designed you isn't active then those things are filled up by someone else. That's exactly or right. Or full by uh, by some someone else. That's even, exactly right. right? Yeah. And I think it's reasonable to ask the question, how do we how do we do that? That seems like a lot to take on. Joyful pursuit of sacrificial responsibility is like, how do you take that on? Fortunately, we discover that God's made us to do this. And let me give you an example. I remember when Yon and I, for the Salted Podcast, were researching masculinity, and we were like, well, essentially the difference between male and female is physiological. Mm-hmm. And I hope that's the right category. Um, estrogen is is all ramped up with a female, right? Mm-hmm. And the male is all amped up with uh, testosterone. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the testosterone is what animates the masculinity. It's what comes to. It's what brings the energy needed to do the manhood thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and. Basically, that testosterone is what injects what what causes men to do to take risks, and it causes their assertiveness and their aggression, mm-hmm. and obviously size and strength. So size, strength, assertiveness, aggression, taking risks all comes from what God's put in our physiology, and. Um, and manliness is a culture that we use to direct that ener- that energy. Mm-hmm. And without direction, John Tyson says this too, without direction, masculinity becomes dangerous. Mm-hmm. Without a place to invest that That's right. masculinity in in the description that you just described which is our which is our god-given identity as as uh, someone carrying manhood then it's dangerous mm-hmm. men who are taking risks aggressive and assertive are dangerous without a without a purpose and a direction that's exactly right yeah yeah that's very helpful so when we're thinking about how this fits in in culture um or in in our context john i i can't help but think of what's happened in our culture. I remember not too long ago when we were raising kids, we were very careful to avoid what sociologists were saying is this new epidemic that's hit parenting. Mm-hmm. And in the parenting culture, the epidemic was helicopter moms, right? Yeah. They, it, it tended to be an el- a helicopter mom at the time, but I think it would make sense to say a helicopter parent. Yeah. It could be, it, it isn't just moms. It could be a mom mm-hmm. or a dad, right? So sort of the, the hovering parent. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hover over everything. Nothing, you know, you never let your kids out of your sight. Um, mom and dad have to monitor everything. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people were that were doing that were kind of like, oh, there's a helicopter parent. I don't want to be a helicopter parent, whatever. Well, recently there's been a change for the worse. I've been reading about the, the cultural phenomenon that is now kind of shown up in parenting and that's the snowplow parent mm. and the snowplow parent is different from the helicopter mom because they're not just hovering they forcefully plow away anything that might hinder or hurt their child man now the interesting part is that things that they consider hindering or hurting are disappointment <laughs> yeah failure work sacrifice discomfort sadness yeah you know so imagine a parent who feels that their one of their primary roles is to forcefully plow away any discomfort or sadness for their kids it's it's a little counterintuitive intuitive i think because do you want to protect your kids from disappointment i mean it, almost anyone would say yes to that i don't i don't want my kids to be disappointed inherently right right i don't want them to fail i don't want them to experience discomfort um yeah. yeah who who loves it when their kid is sad of course it's the worst kind of sadness for a parent of course and it's very easy as a parent to lose sight of the fact that wait a second that stuff is character shaping it's character shaping and it's actually doing something in a in a child yeah right it's 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 growing them probably at a rate you know 10 times faster right. than nothing but clear skies. Yeah, and then if you continue on with the snow plowing, you get what everybody expects to get, which is a spoiled child. That's right. Right? Yeah. And then they and then you get to and then the whole world gets to see your sport uh, spoiled child when they start up their TikTok account and they film themselves being a spoiled child. Mm -hmm. Uh but actually it kind of it kind of introduces this topic that we're going to talk about, which is the five shifts of manhood. And again, I want to mention that this is John Tyson's content, and he has a he has a book, um, uh, Intentional Fatherhood, and and um, that's the right name, right, John? Yeah, Intentional Fatherhood, and. It has some influential, very um, very compelling principles and. And, and one of them is the work that Richard Rohr has done, and John kind of documents and diagnoses the, the, the five shifts of manhood from Richard Rohr. Mm -hmm. And he modified Rohr's five rules of manhood that every boy needs to learn, and he kind of compiles it, and, and he describes those five shifts this way. He says, number one, it's the shift from ease to difficulty. Boys embrace ease. Men embrace difficulty. Mm -hmm. Number two, from self to others. Boys are about themselves. Men are about others. Number three, from the whole to a part. Men realize they are only a part of a greater story. Mm -hmm. From control to surrender. Boys think they can maintain control. Men understand the mysterious power of surrender. From the temporary to the eternal boys think about what matters right now men look at the bigger picture so those are the five shifts and, yeah. and we're going to talk through kind of briefly here shift number one yeah i think we've got our next five episodes <laughs> right there literally yeah literally sort of work through these systematically yeah and we hope obviously they're helpful to to our listeners and that they're inspired and they feel like oh i, I that shift understanding that shift helps me be a wiser parent yeah. or a wiser wiser uh disciple maker um, um, 
John Tyson said, I was constantly trying to reinforce core ideas through a course of several years. That was his approach and how he took on these five shifts. Mm -hmm. uh, reinforcing core ideas through a course of several years. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that as he kept hitting the same things over and over, then you know you refocus on it you emphasize it you re-emphasize it and eventually they get from external to internal or they can carry them with them the rest of their lives so that's our hope is that these five by focusing on these shifts and and uh, then it kind of enables us as dads to reinforce it and to revisit it and so on and maybe yeah. it kind of like gets absorbed into our kids um yeah so john let's I, talk oh go ahead let me just say this dan I, I think that's an important concept right there I, you know where he says he's constantly reinforcing core ideas through a course of several years <clears throat> i think that's a, such an important concept because i don't know about you but my tendency is um in terms of the way i've raised my son and and my daughters as well as like i just have a tendency to go like okay we we covered that you know what I mean? Like it, it, it almost seems like, oh, do I, do I really have to go back to yeah. that same spot? Do I really have to reinforce? Do I really have right. to like, you know, hammer, hammer down on this like core idea over and over and over again? And is there a part of you too, who doesn't want to be accused of your kids of lecturing them over totally, and over? Totally. Here we go again. Dad's gone. Dad, we've already heard this a million times. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I notice with my kids too is so much of it has to do with the way that you approach them mm -hmm. as well. It, 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 the content matters. Of course, what you're talking about matters, but like, you know, we tend to make these kinds of conversations so formal. Yeah. You notice that like when we, when we've got something on our mind that we want to go over with our kids and I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'll be like, you know, Hey, can I, can I talk to you for a yeah. minute? And as soon as that comes out, yeah, the, they're already like, Oh boy. Right. What do we, you know, the yeah. hundred things probably going um, through their minds. Like I'm in trouble. I'm going to have to defend myself. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so like just that, uh, just, you know, finding ways to, to have these types of conversations over the daily course of life and to sort of fit them in because, you know, we just have a tendency to want to kind of keep things light and keep yeah. things copacetic and, you know, keep our kids kind of kind of happy. And we're just not doing them any favors. No, I don't think so. You have know? you tried this approach? Have you tried saying, can I share with you something I saw on YouTube? Have you tried that? <laughs> They're always like, yes. Yeah, I know. Let's see it. Exactly. So, uh, number one, shift number one from ease to difficulty. Boys embrace ease men embrace difficulty so the idea around these shifts is that we we participate in helping these shifts occur helping boys make the movement from how they would act instinctively as a boy to learning how to um, shift over to a more manhood masculine approach to their life and the question when we get to men embrace difficulty that we're answering is why not shy away from difficulty? Hmm. What makes difficulty in doing hard things more valuable? So that's kind of where you end up focusing your attention on. I know that when I grew up, uh, this this shift did not happen, John, in my home. Uh, I don't think, I don't remember a phase of my life when I was under my parents' roof where I made any movement from ease to difficulty mm. and I, I remember specifically one of the mantras in my house was this you don't want to do it don't 
and that's essentially the way that my parents lived. Wow. I mean, primarily my mom. Yeah. And was that true of like even like paying bills and like doing like yeah it was oh yeah wow yeah and uh i mean school i would mention that you know maybe i didn't want to go to school and my mom would say if you don't want to go to school don't go and uh yeah for most kids that's a dream (laughs) i know right well it was initially (laughs) or i would say stuff like um you know i did i signed up for something let's say it was banned in eighth grade you know two weeks into band i'm like i don't tonight's a concert i don't want to go to the concert my mom would be like you don't want to go don't go wow yeah and so that was kind of, and then later on I go to the, you know, I, I finally leave the home. I, I go to college and one of the most high impact moments of my adolescence and my development was go, I was sitting in a leadership course that I was taking uh, in during college and it was, it was led by the, the Dean of men and he's training future RAs, resident advisors. It was a pretty thorough leadership course. And I heard this quote, I never forgot it. And it was really probably the first time I thought about this. Henry David Thoreau writes this. He says, the path of least resistance leads to crooked rivers and crooked men. That's And I thought to myself, you know, my life of ease and lack of, and really just choosing paths of resistance really could lead to some really crooked experiences mm-hmm. and really crooked decisions. And I've never, and I think really why that stuck with me is because I can picture a river taking whatever path just has yeah. the least resistance, right? Yep. It's impossible to avoid that. That's right. Yeah. And men do the same thing. And if, mm-hmm. you, if you're looking for ease and you're looking for a l- less resistance, you can't be straight. You can't be, you know, truthful. You can't mm-hmm. be um, direct. You have to kind of like, kind of, you know, crooked your way through life. And mm-hmm. so that that hit me hard. And eventually, I think that leads to the the phase of my life where I'm Fat Dan, and then I had to shift from the things that were making me unhealthy to things that were making me fit and healthy which kind of peaked in 2013 when I start taking CrossFit classes. And then I'm like, man, I'm doing this hard thing instead of the easy thing. Mm. And it's taken a lot out of me. It's taken a lot out of my budget. It's taken a lot out of my time. It's taken a lot. I mean, it's still a joke that, you know, CrossFitters are going to class to torture themselves. And, uh, but you know, that shift happens from, you know, moving from unhealthy to healthy. And I think about how that, impacts my parenting now when i'm you know i'm at crossfit classes with with two of my kids uh and after every workout i kind of rehearse this at the risk of saying dad we've heard this a million times Mm -hmm. i'm kind of continuing to revisit this do and i say this to them do the hard thing and pay attention don't forget don't lose track of don't don't miss the gratification that it brings yeah we just did something really hard but don't pay attention to how hard it was pay attention to how gratified you feel mm-hmm. and or or i'll mention this every now and then so what's harder what we just did or lifelong diabetes and hospital bills <laughs> you know so you just pick 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 your heart essentially pick your heart it's yeah. either going to be hard now in very non-hard ways relative mm-hmm. to how hard it's going to be if you don't do this now yeah so, that's the truth and then um you know i remember parenting my boys through the shift and that that essentially just ends up in very small things you know where you're going from moving from um when you're making when you're when you're transitioning from ease to difficulty it just shows up in very practical ways in my home it looked like go to school when you don't want to Mm -hmm. it looked like 
if you committed to it, you're on the team, you joined the band, you signed up for it, just finish it. Mm -hmm. Don't even don't opt out. You made a commitment to your teacher, to your teammates, you know, so on. Uh, or we started with the phase of life where they take on the job of cutting the lawn. And that's a big battle, right? I know it's easier to sit there and finish the video game and play another one, but we're going to do the hard thing and get out and cut that grass. And then you keep that fight up until they do it. And eventually it feels good when they're done. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I would always throw a reward in there, too, which is you're done with a lawn, we'll run and get a Slurpee. So we'd kind of cool off in the summer with a with a Slurpee, which was always a, a nice. good time with the boys. Get a part-time job on nights and weekends when your friends are goofing off. Earn some money. Uh, that's for later in high school when they're starting to kind of move from being a kid all the time to having some work responsibilities. You know, and then and there's another thing that happens, too, from ease to, to difficulty, which is the, the, the kind of phase of life where your kids don't necessarily love or want to join you at, at uh, on Sundays, church service. And I have a lot of pa- parents that kind of mention this to me, too, and they... they um, they say that they they fear forcing their kid to go to church with them on Sundays. And there's a very good reason why they don't want to force their kid because they don't want their kid to hate it. Mm-hmm. Right. They and, and some of them will say, I remember how my parents forced it on me. And and the result was I hated it. Mm hmm. And I think that's very reasonable to think. If I force something on my kid, I don't want them to hate it. Um, my approach with this is it's easier to stay home. The hard thing is to join us at church. But I recognize that they may not like it, but they need it. Another yeah. example is this. When your kid starts to moan and groan about going to school, we're not like, well, you know what? You don't have to because I don't want you to hate school. Mm-hmm. Instead, we say, well, you have to go to school because you need to go to school. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you'll get used to going to school. And it may you may not love it every day, but you'll be glad you did. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about, you know, when we have family dinners, I don't let my kids opt out of family dinner. Mm-hmm. They don't get to stay in their bed and say, well, I feel like laying here. Or I was, you know, I was texting my friends or I was doing whatever and I'm, I'm just going to skip out on family dinner. No, we're eating family dinner. And I guess that's at the risk of them hating family dinner, right? right. But it's um, same with sports practices, right? Oh, I just want to play the game on Saturday. I don't want to go to practice. Well, you're going to practice. Everybody, it's for your own good Mm -hmm. so that battle is is um is a real battle but i think in the end um you know and we don't want to force outward behaviors i wouldn't force now here's the separation of the distinction while i do and did force my kids to attend church with us as a family i would say this is what we do as a family we're Mm -hmm. doing it together and Mm -hmm. you're going to be a part of that Mm -hmm. you don't have to love it but you also don't have to sing Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm not going to force outward behaviors yeah. um, because uh, I think that's where you start to see they, they kind of mm-hmm. resent mm-hmm. that and start to hate it, right? I'm not going to force you to read your Bible and pray and get yeah. water baptized, and you're, you're not forced to sing, right? but I am going to force your attendance because this is what our family does yeah. together. And then through some consistency and repetition, they start to sing. Yep. And familiarity, they start to meet friends. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, I would I would I'd love to think that and my kids haven't expressed otherwise, but I'd love to think that, you know, well, it has a lot to do with being connected and having friends and seeing your buddies at church on Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, th- those are certainly important components for for uh, um, 
a teenager. <clears throat> but there, the, that's sort of like that's not the purpose, right? That's not why we're going. But that's a it's a wonderful, be- almost like an unexpected benefit. Yeah, right. One that you Lifelong. don't get if you're not yeah. if you're not participating. Exactly. Like that. Exactly. It's a catch twenty two, right? Because you don't want to attend if you're a teenager. You don't want to go on Sundays because you don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, if you don't ever go on Sundays or during when the group meets or a weekend retreat, you don't know anybody. Yeah. You don't get to know anybody. Yep. It's a real catch-22 there. It's a challenge it for parents, I know for sure. But what about you? Is it, When you think about your transition from ease to difficulty, yeah. that come at what, um, five years old? <laughs> you were a, It took a little longer. You were a man-child. It took a little longer. And part of that is, you know, when I think about my own story and upbringing and um you know i i I was the baby of the family obviously you know that's obvious uh but i was the baby of the family by like 10 years so there was a really significant gap between my brother um my sister's 13 years old and my brother's 10 years older so in a lot of ways it was kind of like i had two sets of parents Mm. and with that comes like two sets of people who would spoil you you know, Sweet. so it was like double, double Dude, dose so of lucky. being spoiled. Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lucky. It was pretty, it was pretty great. I'm not, not going to lie. Stop pretty great. Like that was in the past. Pretty great childhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, it, it, school came fairly easy for me. Um, I discovered a musical ability that was kind of a bit of an anomaly in my family. Like no one in my family is musical. Um, so like I, I found that like, whoa, music is easy. I'm not sure why it's easy, but I can play different instruments and like, you know, I just can do it. Um, and making friends wasn't all that difficult. Um, do you remember what you went when what it was that you experienced it when you were first like, all right, that was hard. Yeah, that was difficult. I sure do. Um, I had a summer job. A friend of mine, his dad owned a painting company and uh we were up at we were painting uh, up at Skytop at SU. Oh, and that sounds awful! In the summer, in like the extreme heat up yeah. there, um, there's no air conditioning. The apartments are empty, but we're you know we're we're painting away, and um, it was you're you're right in saying that it was awful. It was sweaty, hot, disgusting. It smelled. I'm working with guys who smell. Do like, they all listen to 95X? Oh, 100 percent K Rock. Smoke and drink Pepsi. Hundred point nine K Rock. Um, so it was terrible, but I I noticed um, that at the end of the day, <clears throat> I could kind of like step back and like look at what I did, mm-hmm. and it promoted that like this sense of accomplishment. Like, dang, I did something. Yeah. You know, I did something today. And and you know, the guys are roughneck, and they're not they're not going to be very complimentary yeah. at all. <clears throat> but when they did, when they were like, hey, you know. Good job today, kid. Or so, you know, something like that. I was yeah. like, dang, like, you know, this is I know it's I know it's painting, but I feel I I'm feel, out here crushing yeah, it. Yeah, I feel good. That's so good. Feel good. That sense of accomplishment's huge. And I think some of the real pushback on the equity movement is in equal outcomes often comes reward for a lack of achievement. Mm. It's just um and I think uh, a lot of what the the again the pushback on that is that you just you take out that sense of accomplishment where I earn something and and uh, my character grows because yeah. of effort. Yeah, something's missing there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, 
I went to college, did did music in college. I, I did some um, music uh, education and then some music ministry. But after that, interestingly, I, I, it might have been just that some of the positive reinforcement that I had got, you know, painting with the guys. I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do my own thing. Start a painting company. <clears throat> and that was hard, but it became like impossible in 2008 with the housing crisis. And so I went from a difficult job to. And then I went to like the most difficult two and a half years of my life in the most difficult job at a lumber company, <clears throat> which was a huge blessing to my family. Number one, I have to say that because um, we were, you know, we were struggling for sure financially and, you know, wasn't, you know, certainly didn't know where sometimes where our next mortgage payment was going to come from. And so it was difficult, but th- this, this particular job, even though it provided was insanely difficult, it was crazy, like chaotic and very hectic and everything's based on production, like how much you, you can get done in a day. So everybody's rushing. There's no like, you know, uh, and, you know, some of the safety protocols, <laughs> you know, we're missing at the time and, um, you know, freezing in the winter, we're in a warehouse. It's like roasting hot in the summer working like 12 hours a day at the end of that time at the end of those two and a half years i was pretty beat up but that's kind of the transition point where god started to kind of open the door to to be hired at at north central but um i would say uh, and and this is this is for sure that without going through that difficulty I probably would have started ministry the sort of entitled spoiled kid sure. that I was, you know, and and my ministry probably would have been marked by entitlement and ease. Yeah. So having gone through the difficulty, you know, you, you come out of that with some empathy, Yeah. you know, for, for people who, you know, have those kinds of jobs yeah. and, you know, really are grinding. Yeah. Um, and so as a result of that, I'm, I'm not afraid to grind mm. anymore, yep. you know, um, and, and another, you know, massive benefit that I just didn't expect going through experiences like that is you forge some friendships that are very, very strong because you've done something hard together. Yeah. So you know, good. and I have <clears throat> friends, you know, going on 25 years <clears throat> that we're still very, very close today. Some of my best friends. Um, is, are some of the most hard-nosed guys and difficult to work with. But, um, you know, because we sort of forged our way <laughs> through difficulty together, we remain really close. So. so good. And you could see how God provides that to you just by doing what he's made you to do, which is to make a transition from an ease and things are easy That's it. Um, and comfortable to doing things that are hard and difficult and uncomfortable. And then there's so much fruit that comes out of that. So if you're raising a kid or you're trying to lead a family, then one of those shifts that you're starting with and making that helping your kids move, you're helping to move through ease to difficulty. And there's so many ways. We just scratched the surface with the amount of ways that we could do that. But that's mm-hmm. something we're focused on, something you stay committed to. And that probably fills you with some wisdom to say, what am I trying to help my kids do? Yeah. What, what am I trying to help them accomplish? Or what am I trying to help them focus on? We're literally trying to help them focus on do hard things. Yeah. You know, and 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 not not to mention you could see right on social media there's a do hard things movement. There's yeah. such an appetite for it. Yeah. Um, and if you're you know, and if and if you're looking at your kids and thinking to yourself, I'm not sure it's good for them to just sit 
look at their screen and do nothing every day mm-hmm. that's god-given instincts i mean you are mm-hmm. y- your instincts are right and mm-hmm. and we see that this um this author here that john tyson's dealing with richard Rohr, has studied it and he said that's one of the major movements that that's one of the most the, the major shifts that has to happen with kids mm-hmm. and so we hope that's inspiring if you're raising kids or if you're trying to lead somebody or you're discipling somebody um you're doing so with the idea that um, a shift has to happen, and you are a contributor to helping that that helping helping that happen in your role um, in your in your manhood. So, mm-hmm. John, we're at the segment uh, part here where we are finding out uh, and discovering what in the world are you making these days mm-hmm. and i'm um, eager to hear it. we're we're at a holiday weekend coming up here what are you making yeah so um in our i mean you may be listening to this at any time of the year but in our world today tomorrow is actually thanksgiving you know uh could do the traditional thing the turkey but uh that would be easy it you, would, you're you're not you don't do easy things yeah, it would be easy it would also be dry and terrible <laughs> Uh, so we're we're going to transition this year. You know, had to reach into the wallet a little bit deeper for this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna change things up and I'm gonna make a prime rib. That and won't be dry. No, no, it won't. And I'm I'm really I'm really excited about it. And let me <clears throat> do we have enough time for this? We have a, a couple minutes. I mean, we're at, sure. Okay. I want to give a really quick synopsis of a great way to cook a prime rib because it's something a man should know. That's true. It's something I mean, probably anyone should know, but I think in particular, especially if you're making it outside, a man should know how to do this. So here's here's what here's my system. Today I took it out. You know how it comes in the cellophane from the store. Yeah, I took it out of that, and I and I dry brined it with salt. Okay, so just put salt on it, and it goes back into the fridge. It's going to be in there for 24 hours to dry out. Now, that sounds counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but in order to get a delicious crust on the outside of that, you want to dry. You don't want to wet. You're not, you're not putting a wet you know, a piece of meat in the smoker. Sure. You actually want the outside dry. So that's how we're starting. So then tomorrow, I'm going to make a herb butter, just a couple sticks of, of soft salted butter with some rosemary some sage some thyme a couple of different seasonings that we like from costco kinder's brand seasonings the blend i think a couple things like that and we're gonna we're gonna just dress that dress that beef up you know coat it completely in butter and then um i recently got a uh, a, a hybrid sort of like a smoker slash um grill and get that thing fired up probably get it settled down to about 350 degrees and then you're looking at about 10 minutes per pound so this is a 10 pound roast so it's probably about a two and a half hour process but that'll sit in there at 350 degrees we'll put a little catch basin under it so all that delicious butter an herb seasoning on the outside isn't just dropping into the coals it's going into that because you're going to want to reserve that so that thing is going to form a beautiful you know dark crust on the outside and i'm going to have i've got a digital thermometer that's bluetooth okay so it's talking to my phone i know that when it hits about 120 internal i want to pull it because it's going to go up another eight on its own so about 120 degrees it'll go up maybe another eight on its own after it's pulled so we don't want to go above 130 because we want medium rare. Right. Right. So it'll probably get to about 128 total. Let it rest. 
as it's doing that and then you slice that that bad boy up and you you have those reserve juices to dip it in and um it's one of god's great gifts it really is and you're not going to subject your kids to turkey and, and keep this in mind. I don't want them to go through the difficulty of turkey. Exactly. And there's two ways to look at it. Either your kids are going to be jealous of other people having turkey, or they're going to be so self-righteous. So about, spoiled. About, yeah, exactly. Spoiled. Most of their lives, they've had turkey, though, so I don't feel bad. And you shouldn't. And I don't think they will. They're going to learn there's a better way. It is the way. You know. The way of tech. hack with tradition. That's right. Hey, thanks for uh, listening, everybody. We hope you are inspired and uh, hope that you found a little extra wisdom today and your responsibility as a disciple, a dad, or a dude. So uh, we'll catch you next time. Enjoy your prime rib.